any industry where someone can, within six months, publish an article that ranks number one for this crazy high volume search term, shake up competitors, and essentially build a business based off of one article, any industry where someone can do that, that's the Wild West. Hey, podcast listener, even if you are alone in your entrepreneurial journey, know that today, right now in your earbuds, you are joined by thousands of entrepreneurs from all around the globe seeking to grow better, more profitable location-independent businesses. If you'd like to learn more about what we do and download our entire back catalog, check out tropicalmba.com. Ayo, welcome back to the pod. Today's episode is about something I personally find truly magical, especially about the internet, but about business in general, which is that if you find that one right thing, that combination of what the world wants, needs, even demands, and you're the person that can deliver that, especially on the web, you can make a great living on your own terms from that precisely. And this week's episode, Ryan Robinson, who writes and has a podcast at ryrob.com, did exactly that through essentially one blog post. That piece was about how to start and make money from a blog, something so many listeners I know have done and aspire to do. And of course, the real story is a bit more complicated, and we're going to dive into it today. And What I love about Ryan's story is that he's able to communicate what he's done simply and frankly and simplify what for so many of us can be a really complicated thing, which is making money on the web. So let's talk about that today. Ryan, our guest, thinks that rather than chasing new objects, you should work on capitalizing on areas that are already winning. And he also is going to share really transparently some of the strategies and techniques for creating content that can make you money. Now, for just a quick little background about Ryan, he was a freelance writer and marketer for many years, and he's worked with some great clients, including the online education platform, Creative Live, and most recently, the customer relations management tool, Close. That's the job he left recently to focus full-time on his own work. So let's get into it. And by the way, don't forget to stick around to the end of the show where I'm going to invite the boss man onto the pod, and we're going to do some rock reviews and news. I began this interview by asking Ryan how his now hugely successful site got started. I registered the domain when I was in college, actually. I was sitting literally in my very first internet marketing class. It was maybe 2008, 2009. But our teachers were, were like, literally, everyone, open up your laptops, go to GoDaddy.com, register your domain. Like, the name Ryrob was literally just a nickname that one of my friends had given me in college. So it, it's something that has surprisingly stuck. And when did you start publishing content at Ryrob.com? At first, I think it was, man, it was a Tumblr blog of, like, literally just, like, lifestyle fashion. Like, it was classic cheesy. I would say in late 2013, early 2014 was when I kind of like made the pivot to being a WordPress blog and starting to kind of like document my own experiences and experiments. My very first post that kind of broke the mold of just like goofy testing around stuff was about 
my first business failure. It was kind of chronicling the iStash, which was a product I made in college, and the lessons I learned from essentially losing $6,000 on that business. And the iStash was a, I mentioned to Ian, my business partner, a product designed to hide weed, which Mm -hmm. Ian responded, he said, respect. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. It was at the time that, um, you know, we were living in Southern California. We would go to the Coachella Music Festival and we were going through security and, uh, you know, they make you like take your phone out or put it through or even just hold it and then walk through. And I was like, oh, my God, I just had this moment where I looked at my phone. I was like, whoa, what if you could hide your weed in there? (laughs) Adam Sandler moment. (laughs) So there's this progression of you're having good jobs working in San Francisco. You're, You're doing freelance work. You're blogging about some of your experiences. Like, when was the moment that the penny dropped and you're like, man, I could be a blogger who makes money online? There's been many moments where I thought that was going to be me and it never took off quickly. I was at least three to four years into my blogging journey before it was making real money. And by real, what would you say? I would call real money above 10000 a month something that I would look at as like a replacement of my day job, making somewhere in the six-figure range at least. And I think that if you tie freelance income to you know blog income, then I would say that, that three years ago, I was doing pretty well with that, making close to six figures. But it really wasn't until last year that I got to a point where passive income sources from things like courses and eBooks and affiliates advertising, sponsorships, like that whole combination, the stuff that's a little bit more on the passive side is what I think was the tipping point for me last year. Do you think that's just an age thing or was there like a strategic element to that that you recognized and changed about the blog? I would say both. Part of it is just like the repetition of getting more content out there, building a brand, like all along while I was publishing on my site, I was writing probably once a month, but I was publishing super duper long form stuff like 5,000 words minimum, sometimes up to like 15,000 words, like really long form stuff that was designed to rank well in organic search. And and all along, while I was publishing very infrequently on my blog, I was writing a ton of guest posts. I was doing stuff for my Forbes column, Inc., Entrepreneur, Business Insider, like lots of different websites that have high domain authority. And I was contributing as much as I could to these other sites to build links back to my pillar pieces of content that I wanted to eventually rank well. So it was kind of this like long tail effect of like, okay, putting in the time, putting in the time, putting in the time, and then boom, holy shit, this is starting to pay off last year. What's the average article take you to write? How many days of eight hour days? Oh, man, at least a week factoring in like editing graphics like sometimes doing a video to go with it or a podcast episode yeah at least a week so it's like you walk in monday morning into the office and you're like by friday afternoon like this piece on profitable blogging hacks in 2019 is going to go live sort of that's the mindset that would be the ambitious goal (laughs) it's funny because i said the same thing i was like trying to like break down to ian like what's interesting about what you're doing and i was like Ian, if I wanted to write an article like this, I'm pretty sure it would take me a whole week, you know? <laughs> yeah. I'm mean, Of course, I'm hoping he'll say, go take a week, Dan, to write an article. That's what I really want him to say, but he won't say it. <laughs> he'll say, do your work. <laughs> <laughs> 
meanwhile, you're holding down a full-time job, you're investing, you know, multiple like nights and weekends to like make these long form articles that may or may not pay off. Yeah. What was it in your mind that like was like, nope, like I'm on the right track. Like this is worth doing. To be honest with you, I've always had like a, a pretty strong sense of like, this is going to work when I'm putting in a lot of time and effort into the activities that I've seen other people do really, really well with. That's the caveat I would give. It's not this sense of like licking my finger, holding it up and and like seeing which direction the wind is blowing. It's sort of like actually putting into practice the things that like Brian Dean from Backlinko always talks about, Neil Patel, like these are all people that I've gotten to meet either through Creative Live or on my podcast. And so I'm able to kind of like ask these people the questions that I selfishly want to ask them and like dig deep into basically, you know, their best advice for growing traffic, building a blog, like all these things that I've been interested in for years. My podcast has been a place for me to selfishly ask those questions. So I'm able to get the advice from the people that are true practitioners, essentially doing and building what I've wanted to build. Seeing early signs of results too, right? So like, that's a big thing for me is I don't want to invest six months with a blindfold on and hope that at the end of the six months period, some piece of content is going to rank. So I want to try and like structure my content promotion to get results quickly. And that's often like really just focusing super hard on building links for, you know, say one month and then see how that affects my organic ranking positions. And then as that starts to work or doesn't work, adjust, keep going from there. If you had to like to give some context for the listeners, what would be a few blogs on the web that are either right now or historically most like ryrob.com? Honestly, Neil Patel's blog is a lot like mine right now. Amy Lynn Andrews is another one. She's done a lot of really good content on blogging specifically for many years, longer than I have been. Brian Dean Backlinko, like similar level of depth and research that goes into content. His stuff looks much better. He's got like a huge design team that helps him like publish these amazingly visual epic guides. So that's something I strive for eventually. Why did you take so long to quit your job? That's a great question. I mean, you had done it multiple times before. It wasn't like you were scared. And meanwhile, you had momentum, yet it wasn't until very recently that you decided to quit. All this year for, you know, the first six months of the year, I had been making over $50,000 a month, essentially, from my blog on the side. But my biggest thing about quitting this time around was not a fear of like, oh my gosh, is this going to disappear the day that I quit my job? It was actually my relationship with Steli that made me stick around at close for longer than I otherwise would have. I had been preparing him. I mean, he's on my email list too, right? So he sees what's happening. He's not like going to be caught totally blindsided when I start the conversation with him about leaving. But I had always just had very candid conversations with him, even when we started working together. Like, I was very upfront. I was like, hey, like my eventual goal is to be back out on my own again one day. In March, that was when I had the discussion with him like, hey, like I'm ready to do this thing on my own now. What does exiting look like so that I can leave you guys in a good place and like sort of slowly ramp out? 
one of the things that happened when I was reading through your archives is that it seems like something really important happened between January and February of this year. Before that, it was like, you know, I'm making 10,000 bucks, I'm making 10,000 bucks, I'm making 8,000 bucks. And then all of a sudden, I was like, I'm making 40,000 bucks. It's like, what is the story? Yeah. What happened between January and February of 2019? One specific thing happened, and that's my affiliate commissions from Bluehost started hitting my bank account. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So just cutting in here to say that for those who don't know, Bluehost is one of the web's largest hosting companies. Let's talk about it. I had published this article about how to start a blog, kind of like documenting my own process and growth over the years. And I positioned this article to be quite different than what already was out there on the subject. I kind of went way above and beyond the Call of Duty 10x content. When you say 10x content, describe what you mean there. So 10x content is this, actually the title of a book by Garrett Moon from CoSchedule. But the concept is essentially create content that is 10 times better, more in-depth, more comprehensive, more transformative, more useful than what's already out there on the market. I published the article back in, I think it was May 28th of 2018. So it took from, you know, let's say beginning of June all the way until I think December. This is so funny. I remember the exact day. December 3rd was when it hit number one in organic Google search rankings for how to start a blog. And Uh so, you know, looking at the numbers from there, like once it hit number one, the month of December was like generated 50K in commissions. And then they pay on like a, I think it's a 45 day, like net 45 rolling cycle. So it wasn't until like February that those commissions actually started to be paid out. Do you get to develop any special relationship with Bluehost based on your volume or is it, how does the, the relationship with them work? They have a rack rate that they publish on their affiliate program page. I think they say they'll pay out like $65 per sign up that you send them. But once you hit a certain little threshold, like let's say, you know, you send 10 people a month to them, I would definitely recommend reaching out to like the affiliates at bluehost.com address and just hit them up. Say, hey, like I'm driving you guys some decent numbers. Like I'm hoping to grow this over the next month. Like, is there anything you can do to work on affiliate commissions? So for me, it's something where like gradually over the first, you know, few months of sending decent volume to them, I was able to kind of broker higher and higher commission rates. And so it's, there's no like flat rate or they pay you as like a sponsored blog or anything like that. Basically, you only get paid when someone actually buys their service. Exactly. Yeah. And their program isn't a recurring transaction program. So it's like a one-time bounty that you get paid. There's a 30-day locking period on that. So if someone like gets a refund within 30 days, your your commission also goes away. When you look across like the different hosts that you could partner with, it feels to me like a lot of hosts provide pretty similar services. I mean, I've probably had handfuls and handfuls of sites on Bluehost and then WP Engine and is it just that Bluehost like converts better? Why choose Bluehost instead of any other host? Yeah, I mean, I, I would put Bluehost, SiteGround, even like DreamHost. Like, there's there's three or four what I would consider to be like good beginning hosting companies. And beginning, the qualifier being that they're pretty inexpensive for like good enough service. 
But yeah, Bluehost of those three or four is the one that has like the highest converting affiliate program in my experience, at least. So you publish income reports. Is that something that you got from Pat Flynn or where did that idea come from? Yeah, that completely came from Pat. Shout out credit there where it's deserved. My initial tweak to it was side income reports because the theme on my blog had kind of always been like side business, side projects. So that was something that people had asked for who were on my email list too. Like, hey, what are you, what are you up to? What are you doing? Like, how, how does your blog work into your overall grand scheme of things? I think what jumps out, like having found your blog and having read Pat for years is like an enormous percentage of your income is from the hosting affiliates. Like pretty much like the rest of it is would be a good income, but the success is coming from the hosts, affiliates. And then on the other side, you've got the costs are all coming in content creation. So it's almost like this really simple thing, which is like I spend money on content and I drive people to affiliates. Does it worry you that so much of your income is focused on affiliates? Uh, Hell yes, it does. And particularly that so much of my income is reliant upon one single affiliate. And I've seen, you know, Bluehost is who we're talking about, but I've seen just over the past, like, let's say two months, there's been a lot of Google algorithm updates. Yeah. And I've seen a serious shakeup in some of my organic search rankings over the past couple of months. So that's something that I'm super sensitive to and having to like now like cut back on some of my costs because I can see like my pipeline of like, oh, Bluehost affiliate commissions are down by, you know, 30%. Like I need to adjust on my end what my plans need to be too. Help me welcome a new old sponsor to the show. Long time listeners will definitely remember leading SEO specialist Travis Jamison's suite of companies, including Supremacy SEO and Sassicorn. Well, now they've rebranded as Smash.Digital. You got to go to Smash.Digital slash TMBA. Why? I'm just going to read it off the website. This is amazing. Smash Digital is offering a free SEO site review for the listeners of the Tropical MBA podcast. These are mini audits done by our management team, personalized just for you. This is not automated software, just great advice from SEO professionals. Fill out the form below and get personalized SEO advice and actionable feedback. Who doesn't want that? They're even going to do a mini link profile review. They're willing to help you on a custom problem. They're doing it free for you because you're a TMBA listener. That's right. Smash.digital is formerly known as Supremacy SEO. It's the SEO agency that isn't just regurgitating Google's best practices. Imagine that. They think for themselves. They offer unique results. Ian and myself have used Smash.digital. Many of you have used Smash.digital. And now they're offering a free SEO audit over at Smash.digital slash tmba check it out and a big thanks to the team at smash.digital for sponsoring the show and congratulations on the rebrand from an industry observer i've read so many blogs that are about blogging like copy blog i mean i could we could probably generate together 20 names pat flynn is very famous and you think like well how could there be room for another blog like this who were you to think that you could compete here? Like, what was in your mind that's like, I'm going to do a blog like this too? Like, 
What's your thought process that made you thought there was room for this? I had built up a few years of seeing my kind of content marketing formula, let's call it, work really well in different industries. So Creative Live, I was able to create blog content that ranked number one in Google for something like business ideas or business advice, things like that. And so I got my experience there. As I kept moving on, I was implementing things on my blog. I started to see things take off on my blog. So I had, you know, at the time that I wrote this How to Start a Blog Guide last year, I had already had about 250,000 monthly readers coming to my site. So I had kind of like built up this more or less process to follow and and had this trust in the process of like, wow, like, you know, these people have consistently ranked top three to five for how to start a blog for many, many years. But I think like by doing what I do really, really well, I can unseat some of these people. It was, you know, a hypothesis, right? Like results definitely not guaranteed. I had no idea it would actually climb up as high as it did. It's so funny because it's always growing, changing, evolving, right? Like as I said, Google algorithm updates can throw a wrench into everyone's plans. So it's it's one of those things where I now have to like take a step back, evaluate, and I'm now like repositioning a lot of what I'm doing on the blog. You mentioned you use Ahrefs a lot to do all this. Shout out to Ahrefs. How do you use that product in order to win key term battles? I should probably set Ahrefs to be just my homepage because I open it more than anything else. <laughs> well, that's a very fascinating thing for a writer to say. Tell us how that process works. I use Ahrefs for a lot of different things. One is definitely keyword research. So that opportunity identification, whenever I have like an idea kind of pop into my head, whether it's just standing in the shower or reading something and I'm like, ooh, like I should create an article about that. I'll always go and first check the keyword volume. I like Ahrefs. I think it's probably one of the better estimate tools out there for something like keyword volume, but I I always make sure that there's going to be demand for something I'm writing about rather than like hoping to create demand for a topic. So that's definitely one avenue. I think competitor analysis is something I've been doing a lot more of lately. So a super tactical example of that would be like examining the exact backlinks that a competitor article has and launching like a really concerted campaign to go out and like also get backlinks from those same websites or like you know if i if i know someone who works at that company like hey can you replace my link where theirs is starting to get into like really like gloves off kinds of tactics like that i think like hrefs is a tool for finding those opportunities well it's interesting cuz like it seems like a transparent battle is taking place where if you want to rank for you know like what's the best blogging host company, you can see the article, you can see the backlinks. There's not a lot of mystery except for what Google's doing, right? Is, is, it, is that true? Is, it, is Google the last place of mystery? I would say that's true. Yeah. There's no shortage of data out there. If you want to dig in, do the research, like see what it's probably going to take to unseat some competitors. If we're talking about like just organic rankings, right? Like there, I think there are still wild cards in terms of like, you know, Pinterest is still blowing up as a traffic source. So there's things you can do to like pull traffic from other destinations. Facebook, if you've like created a really engaged community, like that's something that can work really well too for driving traffic. But yeah, organic, like 
there's so much data out there that you can like pull insights from. Google will throw a wrench into the system every now and then, though, with a core update that sends people off into the corner scratching their heads. That's what I'm doing right now. You're scratching your head, but you've also uncovered a lot of secrets. Would you be willing to share some today? Like, How do you feel you're adjusting your writing in order to adapt to the algorithm? In short, nothing structurally is changing about how I write my articles. I'm still doing super long form. I think that's still a hypothesis to be made. I think some people would argue that maybe slightly shorter form content is kind of like being favored right now as opposed to, you know, the 20,000 word guide, maybe still overkill. That's, I think the jury's still out on that. But that being said, the biggest change I'm making right now is to focus my blog around one specific topic. From a top level domain perspective, you mean? Exactly. Yeah. So like over the past five years, I've published, you know, five articles about productivity, six about content marketing, you know, 10 about business ideas. I've got kind of like these six or seven different buckets that my content falls into. But what I've seen with the most recent algorithm update is that sites that are experts at one specific thing, right? Like that's, let's call that the perception, not necessarily true, but the perceived expertise and authority is on one specific topic area, say blogging, right? Like my how to start a blog guide has fallen a few positions in the rankings and the sites that have replaced it have generally fewer links, lower quality links, but they've got a couple hundred articles about blogging. Whereas, Mm. you know, I had 10 maybe earlier this year. Interesting. So I'm publishing three to five articles every week if I can about blogging. You've written one blog that I thought was interesting about the history of blogging. You pointed out some interesting turning points. I'm curious, like, where do you think we are right now in the history of blogging? Like, how are we going to look back at 2019? I think we're still in the Wild West. I don't know when that's going to end either, because any industry where someone can within six months, publish an article that ranks number one for this crazy high volume search term, shake up competitors, and essentially build a business based off of one article. Any industry where someone can do that, that's the Wild West. So for me, I think there still isn't a huge sense of stability. I think that's what you know the search algorithms are trying to strive for, is like reaching more of a stability point um, without tons of volatility, but I don't think we're going to see the end of that. I think like, I think we're going to see that video is going to become increasingly important. So, you know, obviously Google owns YouTube, right? Number two search engine in the world. I've seen that with a lot of my posts that do well, the videos that I embed in them on the same topic rank really, really high on both YouTube and on like Google video search. So I think there's going to be an increased connection between having a YouTube video on the same topic as the article that you also wrote something long form about. That's interesting. And they'll even show up in the same organic search results sometimes. Yeah, depending on like the keyword phrase, like you'll see a video result as like number one or number two or something. It feels like one of the trends over the last few years has been that like a lot of personal blogs have changed because of social media. But It almost seems like what I'm hearing from you is like, well, in terms of blogging per blogging, like nothing's changed. 
Do you think that's true? Or has the rise of like Instagram and Facebook and this stuff changed the way you do your job? To be honest, not too much. I don't want to go out on a limb and say that that's super smart engineering on my part. I think there's plenty of cases to be made that that I should be taking, say, Instagram more seriously. Like my Instagram's literally just for fun. Like it's my travels and things I do with my friends. But I've seen a lot of people like build really big businesses off of having lots of followers on Instagram. But for me, like I've always kind of like been weary to rely too much on other platforms aside from my own blog where I actually control everything. I control the traffic to an extent. It's not obviously something that's that's completely owned by me because I am dependent upon search engines and and a variety of traffic sources. But yeah, I'd say like today bloggers are probably more distracted than ever with the amount of things you can be doing in different places you can be creating content in different mediums, right? Like podcasts, videos, social media, like there's so much you can do that I think a lot of people just get distracted and end up doing either nothing or a bad job at everything. Do you have any tips for us in terms of reader retention? You have some interesting approaches to turning those visitors you're getting from search platforms into email subscribers. Tell us how you do that. My process is essentially like whenever I'm going to publish something that's super long form with the goal of ranking high in organic search, I want to create some sort of free resource, a download that you can get in exchange for signing up on my email list. And that this is the really important qualifier, that download, that template, the free course, whatever it is, needs to exactly match the search intent of that user. This is my example. If someone's searching for, you know, business ideas on Google, I have an article that ranks usually one, two-ish for that term. I have a free course on that page that, that generates 30 to 50 signups a day. The free course is about how to find the right business idea for you. So it's this sort of taking, uh, you know, what's at the core of why this person is doing this search in the first place, and how can I at least attempt to solve that with some sort of free resource? That feels like an insurance policy to me. I mean, how many email subscribers do you have right now? Today, I think I'm at, let me see, got it right here. Nice, look it up. And, and what program are you using? Shout it out, I guess. Yeah, yeah, this is ConvertKit, and I am at 114,510. So even if your rankings were to go off of Google, say Google decides that they don't like Ryrob anymore, which happens from time to time to certain businesses, it feels like you could cook up a way to make a living off of your readership. Yeah, I've been hedging my bets with an email list as probably like the number one kind of like backup plan, I guess you could call it. But my email list is also kind of a way for me to validate ideas for different projects and things I want to do. I always test out course ideas with my email list first. They get my blog content really first before anyone else gets it. It's more than just a way to hedge. I think it's a way to, you know, obviously build a community, but also like learn from those people, see how you can help them better, see what kinds of resources they want more of. So it's the email list is, is a priceless investment to start making as early as you can something I've always thought about a lot is like, if you want to start a successful blog, it's like you have to kind of answer the same question every day, but from a different angle. And the same question is always, and this is, I think, what so many of the great content producers do, like even like the Oprah's of the world or the Howard Stern's, like it's the same question every day. 
but it's just a different way into the question. And so you, you come out of the shower with the way in, and you fire up HREFs, and you find a high volume way that you can name it, a competitive niche you can go for. You've written openly about getting talented writers involved to help you work on a first draft. Walk me through how you do that. That's, that's really fascinating to me. This is essentially the only way that I've learned how to scale my own content production process. I think that lots of people have found plenty of different ways to do it. But what works for me is working with people who are good writers, ideally better than me, not too hard to find, (laughs) but finding people who are really good at writing the kinds of content topics that I like to write about myself. So people that have a track record of writing for some of the blogs that you know I read myself. Those are the kinds of people I try and target to work with. But essentially what I'll do is I'll approach these people. Usually they're in my Slack channel, so I can just kind of like message them quickly versus like waiting for email response time. But I'll message them. I'll say, hey, like really want to tackle an article on this keyword phrase. What do you think about this title? And we'll kind of like end up workshopping on the title, making sure that it it kind of like makes sense to someone other than just my own brain. And then once we've got a title, I'll usually either propose an outline or get their thoughts first, starting in kind of just like bullet points, like, all right, what does this need to cover in order to be the best possible resource on this subject? And then also looking at, you know, all right, what's the free resource going to be after this as well? So that's something that I try and incorporate into the outlining process. Once I've got a fully baked outline, I kind of package it up, hand it over in a Google Doc to a writer and get an idea of what their timeline looks like. But I'll be doing this with anywhere from, you know, sometimes one person is going on an article at a time. Sometimes I've got five writers going. It really depends on like kind of how many pieces of content are in my pipeline, what I want to publish next month. So there's a bit of planning involved. Back to the beginning of the conversation, we said it was going to take you five days to sit down and write an article. How's that breakdown now if you're working with another writer? Is it going to be half a day to get the outline and the conversation going? And then you're going to come back and edit for two days? Or how does it break out like that? I mean, more or less right now, actually, yeah, exactly. If I can get an outline locked in within 24 to 48 hours, you know, factoring in people actually have lives also. They're not all just waiting on my every (laughs) whim and request. But yeah, usually a day or two to lock in an outline. They'll go off and write for a week. And then at the same time as I'm managing this writing process for the different writers that are going on, I'm usually writing something myself too. I try and keep like my muscles a little bit in tone. Um, I'm writing less than I ever have before right now, I'd say. But I'm kind of stepping into the role of an editor more. But yeah, once, I, once I've got the outline, I'll get back a first draft. When it's with a writer I've been working with for you know six months or a year, Like it's not something that needs much as far as editing love for me. I'm just going to swing through, add my own examples, you know, pull screenshots, you know, if I get a 4,000 word draft back from someone, by the time I publish it, it's usually going to be like seven or eight. So I'll, I'll kind of like double the length of an article with my own examples, my own thoughts, screenshots, things like that. I want to ask you a question to end the interview that is a little bit different. Thanks for sharing so much of your technical process with us and business model. It's really inspiring. I mean, so many of us want to make money from our writing. I think your blog is a testament to that. Certainly, it's been an ambition of mine. 
and so many listeners of this show. I'm sure these people are coming to you all the time asking questions. Where are people going wrong? How are people messing this up? What are the mistakes that you're seeing? The things that maybe frustrate you a little bit about people who seem to be spinning their wheels? One of the big areas is not knowing how you should best make money from your writing. Because I think I'm living proof that there are many different ways you can make money from your writing, right? Like I've sold ebooks. I generate affiliate commissions from my writing on my blog. I still do the occasional freelance project, but a lot of freelance writing has been kind of my main source of writing-based income for several years now. So I think that a lot of people will look at what I'm doing today and say, oh, I need to be doing all those things too. But that's not how I got started. I started with just doing one thing, and that was the freelance writing in particular. The blog stuff was all just, you know, putting in five to 10 hours a week around all the other things that I wanted to do. So I think that having a clear focus on just executing on one specific way to earn a living from your writing is what you should focus on for at least six months before like adding a new potential revenue stream or experimenting with something totally different. Any other pardon shots? There's a lot of people listening to the show that want to become entrepreneurs someday. They want to quit their jobs. What kind of things do you say when people come up to you and ask, what would be your advice for those listeners? Don't quit without an existing sort of uh, roadmap of what you're going to do after you leave your job. That's the absolute bare minimum. I think the people that really take my advice are the ones that have existing revenue streams that will replace their day jobs income before they even consider leaving their full-time jobs. That's my personal rule is that I need to have side income that at least matches what my day job's paying me. And that's the rule that I try and impart with other people. It, it takes a lot of time to get there for most kinds of businesses and most situations people are in, right? Like it's, it's something that you're going to have to build for over a year. Like that's, that's the hard truth is that there's no way to, well, <laughs> there aren't many legitimate ways to very quickly <laughs> build a business that's repeatable, dependable, like ethical <laughs> and can replace your day job. It's going to take you at least a year, probably more. For me, you know, it was three years to get to that point. Three years. There it comes back again. We hear it all the time. Ryan, thanks for joining us on the TMBA pod. We appreciate it. Thanks for having me. You got to know, boss man, that I'm absolutely loving this interview. I'm loving hearing about the bloggers out there making money and blogs. You yourself identify as a blogger for many years, so I know this gets you very excited. (laughs) You know, one of the things, we've been working together a lot in the office every week, and we've been reviewing pitches, and we've been reviewing emails and looking at new business ideas. And one of the things that jumps out in Rob's story to me is still, you think it'd be simple because it's right there in front of everybody's faces. Like you can type in something to Google, and there's going to be an article that comes up that tries to convey information to you about how to take a next action. And if you own a business, which you do because you're listening to this podcast, or if you're working for a business, you got information like this about your business, which is like, hey, you're a potential customer. Here are some next actions that you can take in order to have success with our product. And what's remarkable is that that's what Ryan does, is he makes documentation like this that kicks ass. It's better than what everybody else is doing. And it's enormously profitable, not just 
you know, in the how to start a blog space, but it can be enormously profitable for you in your business. And we're looking at small businesses every day and they are terrible about this. So if you have one takeaway from this, it's not quit your business and start a blog and start selling Bluehost affiliates or whatever. For me, the takeaway of this is how can you make a 10x piece of content? How can you make a blog post, one blog post in your business that's as good as Ryan's? Take it as a template and talk about your product. Talk about what you do in your business. So many of our listeners, they get buy on referrals, they get buy on word of mouth, they get buy on the couple clients that they have already, and they eschew this enormous opportunity to build a sales pipeline by creating one piece of wonderful, compelling content. You're a thought boss, man. Dan, here's the funny thing about what you had to say. I agree with it 100%. The number one ranking page on the Tropical MBA, do you know what it is? It's how to play guitar. <laughs> <laughs> you wrote an article, not as good as Ryan's, but you wrote an article about nothing to do in, with our niche, and it ranks very high in Google, yeah. like number two or three. There's hardly an affiliate link there. I think now we put a half of an affiliate link there for some guitar strings or something like that. So yes, good advice. Have we even taken it in our own business? Not so much. We're, we're happy to write about guitars, though. <laughs> I'll tell you what, I'm taking a piece of advice right now. Part of my campaign promises was to create a, a Dynamite Circle podcast. And you saw at my desk, I'm creating a long-form piece of content. It, it's not as good as Ryan's, that's for sure. But it's about the Dynamite Circle and the history of it and like what our community values are and like what are the key aspects of the community. It's true. We've never had that. We rely on a lot on word of mouth. We rely a lot on member referrals, the same as so many entrepreneurs do. And yeah, I'm getting a takeaway from this, which is I'm going to go take Ryan's medicine here. It's very hard to do. I think that that's why very few people do it. In Ryan's case, you know, what might be interesting is like he organized his thoughts and ideas and principles around something that's very profitable especially in the form of a Bluehost link. So for me, that's like instant motivation. It's like, oh yeah, I could write like 300,000 words. <laughs> um, but you don't always know if it's going to rank. Like it actually has to be good. It actually has to be helpful. So I think most people in their businesses, they see this and they're like, well, yeah, I could write that, but who's going to read it? Well, in somebody like Ryan's case, is like, well- The motivated people. Yeah, I'm going to write that. It's going to rank. And then I'm going to be making a lot of money off it. Well, I mean, we see it with a combination of like crappy sales pages that overuse images. Yes, that overuse videos, that overuse tricks and techniques. And look, if sales pages sold things, then Ryan's top ranking article would be a sales page, right? It's not. It's an educational piece that motivates people to take action. So imagine if your business, instead of just a sort of a mix of referrals and things, instead was like, at the bottom of your email signature, it always linked to this article that you produce that helps educate everyone you email in depth about how to use your product. I think it's, it's one clear takeaway that we can all take away from what Ryan's done here in this incredible business. And I also love the message of like, look, you know, there's so many people that we're neophytes. We're on the web. We want to know what the next social network is. We want to know what the 22-year-old kids are doing so that we can implement it and all this stuff. It's like blogging is the wild, wild west. If you know about blogging, if you know the software that supports it, this stuff is the wild, wild west. It hasn't even been implemented in blogging space like effectively. It hasn't been monopolized or taken over. What excuse do you have in your niche? You know what I mean? Like we are in the wild, wild west. There's an incredible amount of opportunity. 
And like you said, it's a choice. It's a choice to do this sort of work. It's a choice to choose something profitable instead of something that you think's a good idea. It's a choice to do these things. I think that's, that's really inspiring. Final thought for me, Dan, a lot of people are going to say, like, I should just hire a content writer to do this. Mm. Don't do that. Try and write it yourself. And then if you need somebody to edit it, if you need somebody to polish it, if you need somebody to add to it, do that. You're the expert. You're the only one in your industry that knows this stuff, truly knows this stuff. You can always hire somebody to, to shine it up. Yeah. You know, in, in our business, when someone comes to me and says, I don't think I'm that good of a writer, I'm instantly, my confidence has been increased. And if you put a word in front of writing, like copy or content, you know it's going to be terrible. <laughs> and just writing most of the times, like you said, it's, it's, it's strange because it's right there in front of us every day. There's resources everywhere. But at the end of the day, good writing is about good thinking. And that's really, really hard to do, especially when your product is something that mm, changes a little bit for everybody, or you're not quite sure what it is, or it means something different to different people. It's really hard to do quality thinking around that. And uh, that's what Ryan's done. And that's why he's profited so greatly. Well done, sir. Thank you for coming on the show and glorifying the blogosphere. I absolutely love it. And also inspiring other people to start the blogs. You stop wasting all your content on these walled garden social networks. Start a WordPress blog. Go click on Ryan's affiliate link and start a blog. Share your thoughts with the world. Of course, boss man, part of our campaign promises for 2019 was to bring back some rock rap reviews. And why not some news? Why not? Let's do it. What's our track for this week? Oh, why don't you tell everybody, Dan, because here we are, I think, in week four, and you've already taken over the process. <laughs> I was afraid this was going to happen. It, it was just us arguing about the songs for the first three weeks. This week, I, I came to you with my song, and you said, no, this is the song that we're doing. So <laughs> I think this is pretty much your section now. Take it away. Here's the thing, man. You know we've been in the office, and sometimes you need some pump-up music. You need some motivation. That's why this week we're playing the locks, money, power, and respect. Part of the reason we were playing this in the office is because I was writing this like blog post about what we believe in business, you know? And I was listening to this song and I was like, okay, which order do they go in? What's Money, power, respect is the order of the original track. Yeah, yeah. And then what order do we think that it actually exactly, happens? Exactly, exactly. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. I'm just going to throw this out there. I'd say it's respect, power, money. Maybe that's the order in, in which things really happen. This is like a personality quest. I'm okay. gonna I'm gonna say it's power, money, respect. Okay. All right. So the audience weigh in. We want to hear what order. <laughs> what, what order did these things go in the reviews this week? Chris Reynolds from the Business Method podcast shout out he identified that now the tmba ranks number 12 in the charts for entrepreneurship over at itunes is this a well, good thing a bad thing i don't know i, I love can, it I, I can tell you dan in every sport i've ever attended or been a part of uh, number 12 there are no trophies there's no payout <laughs> money there's 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 nothing but i love it i'll man. take it i'm happy with anything like i think you know anything in under 100 i'm pretty good with <laughs> All right, boss man, one of the things I wanted to start doing more regularly is adding some news to the pod. If you want to hear about some things that are on our mind, what we're up to, why don't we share it at the end of the pod? 
where, I don't know, maybe you've got your hand in some hot, soapy water right now and you can't fast forward or you can't switch to the next podcast and you're forced to suffer through the news section. Maybe you've got your hands on the wheel in a safe driving position. Not a fan of Tesla. I'm just tapping the top of it. (laughs) Too responsible to switch the pod off. One of the things that's been on my mind is we're traveling to Asia soon. We're in a co-working space here in Europe. It's just so notable and interesting to me how entrepreneurs with location flexibility use their schedules to not only get the best weather in the world and go enjoy European summers and avoid some of the cold winters in Asia, but also to meet each other and to network and to share ideas. And there is this global circuit of idea pollinization happening. It's really cool. And I'm really excited to go to Asia. I'm working on booking my tickets this week to DCBKK. It's going to be our biggest one ever. Of course, our eighth annual event for Dynamite Circle members. Over 300 of us in a five-star hotel in Bangkok. I'm excited. and I'm pumped too, man. And for all y'all that that haven't heard it here a million times, I'm just going to say it. It's it's a thing that happens in the world is that the neighborhood of Niman in Chiang Mai, Thailand for the month of November basically turns into a college campus for entrepreneurs of all different stripes, of all different levels. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago, which is like, uh, go to where your people are. If you're in a position right now where you're trying to figure out what's going on in your business, you think that other people can help, but you don't know how to engage them. You're in a place where you don't have a lot of peers. Literally, you show up to this town and you will have friends immediately. You will be bumping into people. You will be able to go to dinners. You will have conversations. Yeah, and even Couldn't more, be easier. And even more targeted, target your travels right around a conference. Just get on the web, book a conference for something you're interested in this week, and book some travel around it. You know what? I love that. It always, sometimes, you know, I don't want to do it. I got a lot of stuff at home. I'm busy. I'm behind on work, but I never regret it. I very rarely regret it when I do get on that airplane. I do get those ideas going. I come back and I make, I feel like the the motivation, the shortcuts, like the ability to like see through the BS that I, you know, you, you sit around, you work in the same desk for a couple months in a row and all of a sudden you're just sort of doing stuff, you know, it helps to to shake things up. And for me, this annual migration to Asia definitely, definitely is part of that. One exciting thing is for a long time, you know, our pod sponsorship sales process is, it's been a learning process here, figuring out how to sell pod sponsorships, certainly at the rates at which you demand boss man incredibly high, wow. well above the market rate. And I'm <laughs> very happy to announce that we are sold out through 2019. But if you're interested in our 2020 packages, go ahead and email the boss man directly, Ian, at tropicalmba.com. Speaking of stuff we're doing business, do you want to talk about this? Yeah, I was just going to say real quick about this uh, podcast sponsorship thing. It's been tough, dude. We've worked with some agencies and now we're back to working with ourselves selling our own podcast ads. And I got to say, like, it's been cool lately to see so many people come through the door and want to advertise on this podcast. And I think people are like finally starting to get it. And what I think they're starting to get is, yeah, you can advertise on any podcast at any CPM. But when you advertise with us on our show, you have a unique opportunity to actually reach real business owners that can make decisions. And I think in a lot of shows, a lot of other business shows, People might be listening. They might not have a business or they might not have the authority to take action. I truly believe on this show and why the advertisers continue to come back is because the people listening, you guys, are able to take action on things. Yeah. And I think that that's pretty powerful from an advertiser's perspective or somebody that's looking to get ROI on their 
company. So I'm very happy, Dan, in 2020 to align with other companies that we see value in and to vet our sponsors, I think, pretty carefully and not take just anybody on, but people that we actually think are going to help our community. And the other thing is is uh, just a little inside baseball here. The extra benefit they can get out of sponsoring with us is that if they give us t-shirts or hats, we <laughs> will basically wear them in perpetuity for the next year. <laughs> I was talking to somebody about this the <laughs> other day. They're fine on money. Like, Money's not a deal for them, and they dress like not so great, you know. But they're always wearing like the team T-shirts, like whatever yeah. the sponsors are, or whatever. That's me too. Like a little bit less in the money department, but like I'm happy to just like wear everybody else's T-shirt. Totally, absolutely. Keep the swag coming. Final piece of news here, and Ian, I just want to say, last week at Dynamite Jobs, we had 45 brand new jobs placed on the site that we have called Dynamite. This is something internally we're using. I'll explain a little bit what that means. But we also made eight placements last week at Dynamite Jobs. That means eight listeners of this show are part of the Dynamite Jobs community, have joined companies like we all run. And that's like a really exciting thing. Our stretch goal next month is to have 200 Dynamite Jobs on the site a week. And a Dynamite Job is a job we're basically companies that the TMBA listeners run. We're talking about bootstrapped, self-funded, small internet businesses that are cool. I mean, it's kind of like we're still figuring out internally what we mean, but the kind of jobs that we would want to work at. We were speaking with a friend earlier today, and he mentioned that once the company he was working for, the startup had over 50 employees, it started to feel like something different, like a corporation. There is something special and unique about working for small companies that are run by a founder or a small group of owners that care about what they're doing, that run it a little bit more like a family than a corporation, that run it remotely, that give you lifestyle flexibility. These are the sorts of companies that were lifestyle businesses that we're focusing on here as dynamite jobs. I came to you this morning, Dan, like very excited because we're always trying to define what a dynamite job is. Like we're, we're very early stage. Like we know what is we've been doing <laughs> yeah, the last 10 years, but we're, we're, uh, it's just hard to define what it is, you know, because it's so new, even though we've been doing it for a while now. And I was like, I came to you all excited. And I go, I got it. I know what we need to use in our marketing material. And you're like, what? I'm like, no sock tans. <laughs> Like, you don't have a sock tan if you have a dynamite job because you don't wear shoes, you're outside as much as you want to be. And and you look at me and you go, I have a sock tan. And <laughs> and I go, yeah, but you have, the, you have a different kind of sock tan. You have a sock tan because you're on your bike too much and you wear your socks all the time. So maybe a sock tan know. isn't the best way to uh, identify a dynamite not. job. But the point is, is we're workshopping this stuff. <laughs> we're trying to figure it out. And here's an honest question to the listenership and to our team internally and something we really want to know, which is how many of these exist in the world every week? Like is 200 too many? Do you need to open yourself up to other language markets? It's really an interesting sort of challenge for us internally is how many can we find every week? How many can we present to the community, to the audience? How many qualify? How many companies like this are there in the world? We know one thing is that there's a lot more of them going to be around in five years. It's an interesting thought experiment. That's our bet. Yeah, that's certainly our bet. And we hope so. That's cool. Thank you for growing these companies, providing such great jobs. We appreciate it. We'll post your jobs for free over at dynamitejobs.co. And that is the podcast. I am ready to go home. All right. I'm out of here. See you later, everybody. We'll see you next Thursday morning, 8 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. 
Hey, thanks for listening to the Tropical MBA podcast. You can go to tropicalmba.com, get access to hundreds of back episodes and all kinds of other goodies. Load up your iPod. That is the cheapest way to fly business class on your next international flight. We will see you next Thursday morning, 8 a.m. Eastern Standard Time.